so well. Let's get into it this morning. I, I'm, I'm going to go all over the place, but we're going to start in John chapter 20. Mary stood outside the grave crying. She got down and looked inside the grave and saw two angels dressed in white clothes. They were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Mary said, because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have put him. After saying this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. He said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary thought he was the gardener. She said to Jesus, sir, if you've taken Jesus away from here, tell me where you have put him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned around and said to him, teacher. And she realizes that this is the resurrected son. So, oh, happy day indeed. It's uh, Resurrection Sunday. It's all being made new. It's all being set right side up, put back together, and we celebrate that. Uh, Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in tombs bestowing life. That's the, that's the Easter confession. Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in tombs bestowing life. And we celebrate that this morning. Now, of course, if you only ever come to church on Easter, uh, easy to walk in here and go, man, they're always happy and chirpy in that place. They only ever talk about like, you know, resurrection life and good times and fun things happening. Uh, no, that's what we talk about on Easter. The last kind of like 40 days, we've been recognizing that uh, you only get to resurrection life via death. That's a curveball. Uh, I want resurrection life. All right, you've got to die. I'm going to think a little bit more about resurrection life. I'm not, not quite sure if I am ready for that or wanting that at the moment. So it's not that we jump to resurrection life. We recognize there's darkness, there's the wilderness, there's the musing of Palm Sunday, we looked last Sunday, can a man coming into a city on a donkey really be a, be a king? You know, we've journeyed through that. There's the betrayal of Thursday. Uh, those closest to Jesus betray Jesus. There's a scattering of the disciples. There's an execution on Friday. There's a whole lot of despair and, well, despair and hopelessness on Saturday. What's happening? To get to Sunday, you've got to go through some dark moments. So it's not a naive celebration we into. It's the celebration that recognizes darkness, but celebrates that there is light and we have hope in Christ. On Good Friday, the sins of the world came together as the sin of the world. Whether flowing forward in time or backward in time, every human sin, every act of selfishness, every debasing degradation coalesces into an awful singularity at the cross. What is the sin of the world? It's Jesus nailed to a tree. This is why on one level the crucifixion will always remain ugly. It's an image of all sin coalesced into a single event. But that's not all the crosses. The cross is also beautiful. The cross is both the awful crescendo of human sin and the sublime apex of divine grace. The cross is beautiful because it's the place where sin is absorbed, forgiven and transformed into reconciliation the cross is the death that leads to life apostle paul writes god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sin against them not counting people's sin against them hallelujah and praise the lord for that all right that's my introduction to easter now we've got to do the easter sermon for 2022 here we go if I asked you to think about a verse that has sin and death in it, you just think about a verse that you know that talks about sin and death. Go, you've got it in your head, sin and death. 99.9% .9 of you have probably thought of Romans 6.23, where it says the wages of sin 
uh, death. That's probably the verse that you are most likely uh, kind of conjured up in here. The wages of sin is death. Death, uh, sin leading to death. Uh, death being the consequence of sin. There's another sin and death verse in the Bible as well, though. And uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul flips everything entirely around the other way here in 1 Corinthians 15. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, that's the, the new life to come, resurrection life, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And here's the verse with sin and death in it. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. And the power of the sin, power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. Romans talks about the wages of sin being death, but Corinthians talks about the sting of death being sin. It almost, almost kind of flips that equation around the other way. Uh, sin is missing the mask, uh, missing the mask, missing the mark. Sin is uh, to live life off track, to, to, to aim improperly, uh, to fail to represent Christ as we're called to represent Christ, fail to represent God as we're called to represent God, to fail to bring faithful worship to God. That's what, what sin is. It's a, it's a missing of the mark. It's no longer being a faithful representative. Uh, and Paul writes that this failure comes about because of death. Better, or perhaps better said, our fear of death. We add in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might the, break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So 1 Corinthians 15, the, the sting of death is sin. And here in, here in uh, Hebrews, we're held in slavery by our fear of death. Part of what it means to be human, other, you know, unlike you know, a golden Labrador or an exolotl, is to live with an awareness that you are finite. To live with an awareness of your own immortality. Uh, my dog is entirely unaware of that. Um, she's entirely unaware of how close she's got to, to having to confront her own mortality. Uh, she she she's, doesn't know, but we humans, we live conscious of our own mortality. We live conscious that there's a biological clock that ultimately runs out, that death is a reality that all of us will face. Uh, we ask questions, why am I alive then? What's the point then? It's all going to come crashing down. The book of Ecclesiastes unpacks this in all sorts of different angles. We're about vapor, declares the, the writer of Ecclesiastes. Vapor or, or a bubble or a mist. And when we did Ecclesiastes a few years ago, like I had a, I had a spray bottle. We're about vapor and you spray that mist and it kind of, it's, it's gone. What's the point? You, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, you can waste your life away and that's great. Or you can work really hard, but then that all goes anyway. So what's the point? Where It's a bu bubble that pops. It's a, it's a mist. It's a vapor. Uh, death hangs over every birthday, every dream, every sun-kissed holiday. Uh, cultural anthropologist uh, Ernest Becky describes uh, this as an invitation, this awareness of death, as an invitation to either, these are the options he gives, madness or despair. 
aware of our own mortality, death hanging over every holiday and every birthday party and every good thing we might kind of navigate in life, death hangs over that. Well, when you really think about that, that's an invitation to either madness or despair. So that's the good news I have for you this morning. So why don't we stand to our feet and... uh... Of course, as humans, we find ways to keep the madness or the despair at bay. You could call them coping mechanisms would be a, would be a way of, of putting it for sure. Some are better than others. Uh, we deny death. That, that's a common one. We deny death. Uh, we outsource death, especially in a Western world. We outsource everything related to death to my dad because he's a funeral director, so he can deal with that, particularly in a Western European culture. We, we, we outsource death. That's, uh, it's, um, it's, it's something that we don't deal with, that we don't confront, that we don't, we don't live face to face with. We'll let the experts take care of that so that we don't have to kind of deal with that. Uh, we fight the aging process. Uh, we put um, paint on our faces to, um, to uh, that's what it's for, isn't it? Uh, we put paint on our faces to, to show the world that we're not getting as old as we, we really are, are getting kind of thing. Uh, we deny death. Uh, in Walmart, a while ago in Walmart, they started selling coffins at Walmart, which is like Kmart or the warehouse or whatever. Why not? They sell everything else, so let's sell some coffins. Oh, the outrage that they're selling coffins at Walmart, because I don't expect to go to Walmart and have to be come face-to-face with immortality and coffins and death, and soon Walmart was no longer stocking coffins after that, the, the public outrage. Uh, but when you actually think about it, that's a bit crazy. Like Walmart literally stocks everything else. But what that, what that reveals to us is that we don't want to confront that. We want to deny that. We want to hide from that. Uh, we distract ourselves. Entertainment or escapism. Uh, distraction at times that numb. Uh, alcohol, drugs is a numbing, can be a numbing distraction. Uh, distraction that enhances you know, the, the death-defined world of daredevil stunts and and extreme sports and all these kinds of things. We're going to look death in the eye and we're going to be fine. Except like 30% of the people that, you know, jump off those mountains with those flying suits, they don't survive. So, you know, they get close, some of them, but we'll we'll fight it. We'll we'll, we'll live the daredevil life kind of thing. Or we design a life. Design a life of meaning. It's probably the most appropriate one, or a noble one at least. Uh, We seek to serve, or to accomplish, or to achieve, or to acquire, or to be noble, or heroic, or virtuous, to to have power or control, and hopefully for admirable reasons. We're going to use this life that has been given us to us to make a difference in the world, and that's how we'll kind of keep the madness and the despair at bay. Uh, Generally, that finds its expression in the rat race to some degree or another. Over time, though, what we find in the rat race is the competing demands of multiple voices, uh, multiple realities of the world that we live in, competing demands, all seeking our, uh, our allegiance, our service, uh, our loyalty, careers or institutions or industries or cultural expectations or keeping up with the Joneses or shouting out for attention or a call to faithful allegiance. Even the rat race has multiple voices calling us in multiple different directions at once that it's hard to keep up and kind of maintain a loyalty to them all. We're besieged on all sides by various powers in such a way that it becomes difficult for a human being to identify the idols that may or may not possess them, that may or may not be calling us to allegiance. We feel harried and stressed and competitive and overworked. 
We become rivalrous with those around us. That's the thing with the rat race. It's a, it's a clambering over one another to get to the top. Rivalry. The world is full of threats and competitors uh, at a personal level, but also at an organizational level. So you can give yourself to an organization, but even organizations live with a fear of death, especially throughout a COVID season. What happens if we can no longer sell our widgets or people start, stop coming or you know whatever it might be, even organizations can exist at a level where there's a fear of death. Business competitors or rival organizations or you know those churches down the road, the competition. It's not how it's supposed to be, but there can be death anxiety even within organizations. All to say, all to say, when we peel back the onion of our lives, so as we peel back those onion skin layers in our lives. Existential angst uh, all too often is setting the course in our life. Up on the, the, um, the next slide. If you peel back, peel it back enough. If we can put aside the denying and the distractions of the different things for long enough, sometimes we peel the layers back. What we find at the core is this fear of death, which makes us slaves to that fear of death. And the sting of death is sin. And it's more present in our lives than we realize. That we go off course, that we live astray, that we cut corners, that we don't treat people as we're supposed to treat people. That we don't reflect the way of God as we're supposed to reflect the way of God. Because there's this fear of death that is causing us to look after ourselves in such a way to preserve ourselves at all costs at the disregard of others. Perfect love casts out all fear, but where do you find perfect love? It's a hard thing to, to find. Our fear of death leads to an impulse for selfish preservation that creates a bias where all of our concerns are instinctively directed to ourselves rather than others. That's not really, that's just really a commentary on the way things are. Our fear of death so often leads to an impulse for selfish preservation that creates a bias where we're mainly concerned with our own interests rather than the interests of others. Of course. In order to learn to love people, we need to learn to say no to ourselves more often and say yes to others more often. We need to all learn to say no to ourselves more often and yes to others more often. But that's hard to do. That's hard to do. What if I lose? What if I miss out? What if by giving all this away to that person, they're all right, but come, something happens around the corner, we're no longer all right. I need to cling tightly, I need to hold, I need to collect, I need to build my own little uh, house that becomes my own little castle, that becomes my own little empire that I'll defend and fill with resource and, and I'll, I'll hold on tightly. We dig down enough often that there's, there's this fear of death at the heart of it. And the, the sting of death is sin. It's hard to make that switch from saying no to self and yes to others more often where we're living anxious or fearful Romans 7 Paul puts it well what a wretched man I am then who will rescue from me from this body that is subject to death and he says thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord we need help we need something that will lift us we need something that will, will, will take away that fear of death something that will encourage us we need God to show us the way. We need a sign from heaven, it's fair to say. Well, we have one. We have a sign from heaven. It's the sign of Jonah. It's the sign of the cross. It's the tomb. 
the resurrection. It's Christ giving it all. It's this Easter celebration that we come to this Sunday. For Easter is the great undoing of death, fear, slavery, sin. Philippians 2 verse 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's really hard when there's death anxiety at the core of us and we're wanting to protect ourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How should you live your life? You should live your life not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. That's hard. That's hard to do if, if it's death anxiety that exists and bubbles away at the core. I need to know. I can't. That, no, I need to look after this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was the mi mindset of Christ Jesus? Well, he he was a carpenter and he got that business going. He had about twelve guys working for him in the carpentry business, so that he had a passive income, so that then he could leave the business and there. Oh no, that, no, he didn't do that. That's not in there. What did, what did he do? Oh, oh dear. He, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Oh, he had a good one there. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to death. Have the same mind of Christ who, though he was equal with God, humbled himself even unto death. Even death on a cross. And then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but have the same mindset of christ who let go of everything and humbled himself even to death on the cross oh that's tough that's hard that's difficulty difficult especially if it's death anxiety or existential angst that's bubbling away at the inside at the core so the cross becomes our atonement our ransom our freedom there's these different metaphors that the, the bible talks about in relation to the cross the cross is our victory, but the cross is also our example. The cross becomes our example of the kind of lives that we are to live. The victory of Jesus Christ, the ultimate defeat of death and death anxiety. Jesus faces death and triumphs over it. Not that that was easy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, praise the Lord, let this cup pass from me or in other words let that which has been allotted to me let that which you've called me to do if you could if you could just let that pass to one of the other guys maybe judas he can have that that would be good if not judas peter peter's always king uh, not peter well thomas thomas will have a negative attitude later on so give it to thomas doesn't get passed to one of the other disciples and jesus says well nevertheless then not your will be done but my will what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the cross, lays down his life, obedient even unto death upon a cross. But what we discover is what we thought would be the final word is not the final word. What we discover at Easter is that in facing death, in confronting death, in entering into death, Christ destroys death from the inside out. 
that death is not the end of the story. That death in our lives is not the end of the story. But also all the little deaths along the way, all the laying down of our lives along the way, all the giving up to God along the way, all the letting goes along the way, all of the dying to an old thing and embracing a new thing along the way turn out not to be the ends of the story, but the beginnings of new chapters. That in the face of ultimate death, we have the hope of resurrection life, but in the face of the little deaths along the way, resurrection life can be found. We discover that everything Jesus said is true. The cross makes it look like everything that Jesus said was nice, but not really trustworthy, because it ended up with him being six feet under, or six feet in. I don't know how you say that in first century times with a tomb. Metaphorically, six feet under, even though it's that way in a tomb. Well, it was nice what he said, but not really worth really giving your life to unless your whole hope is tomb. In the resurrection, though, we discover the vindication of everything that Christ has said and done and lived and exemplified. And God says, no, 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 that's not the end of the story there. Christ is risen from the dead. Suddenly everything he said is not just nice, but everything he said turns out to be true and worthwhile and to be paid attention to. When he says in Matthew 10, 39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Life in slavery to the fear of death, panicked. You cling to everything. And it results in behavior that causes you to miss the mark, to fall short, to fall down. Don't do that. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Freedom to live lightly. Freedom to live free from the anxiety of death. To live as a non-anxious presence in the world. Imagine living as a non-anxious presence in the world rather than somebody that is fearful of death and seeking to control every situation and scenario. Instead, just living as a non-anxious presence in the world. I've entrusted my life and my death to Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Finding his identity in God, Christ does not deny death or seek distractions in the face of death or design a noble life that will be kind of meaningful, but he'll be able to avoid death. Rather, Christ enters into death as a faithful representative of God. Whereas the Son of God rises from the dead, like I said, trampling down death by death and upon those in tombs bestowing These tombs, though, they're not only those of the funeral at the end of our lives. It's not only that death that we find hope in the face of. We can be living six feet under, even while we're still living in the land of the living, so to speak. You know, there can be areas of our lives that are in darkness and dead and fallen apart and collapsed. That there's hope even in the midst of those situations and circumstances. Tombs of fear and doubt and worry that prompt us to cling tight. Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate that. We, we, we're set free from the fear of that kind of death as well. Which opens the door to a beautiful mystery. Beautiful mystery. Technically, every day I'm dying. I, I won't say that about you because that's bad news. But for me, technically every day I'm dying. Dying. As far as I know, I don't have an illness that is you know, going to result in my death. But technically, every day, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to death.
to my death. I'm getting closer to passing. E passing. Every day I'm dying. Every day closer to the death. To death. And yet at the same time, uh, and then as, as, as well as that, as I live my life, I experience death in all sorts of big and little ways along the way as well. Sometimes the death of dreams, sometimes the death of ego, that's a good one. Sometimes of ambition, that's a good one. Sometimes the death of hard work, you put all this effort into this and it amounts to nothing and that feels like a death and a failure. Sometimes a relationship collapses or falls apart and that feels like a death. So every day I'm technically getting closer to actually dying. And then every day and amongst all the good things that happen in life, there's all sorts of things that die along the way as well. Some of them good and some of them really heartbreaking and painful and difficult. And yet, the beautiful mystery unfolding is that every day that I'm growing closer to death, I'm coming alive more and more in the life of Christ. Every day that I'm supposedly slowly dying, I actually discover that I'm slowly learning what it is to truly live. That's paradox. That's kind of upside down. That's back to front. Every day I'm getting closer to the grave, yet every day I feel like I'm coming alive like I've never been alive before. As things die and fall away, and as Christ's resurrection life begins to move and minister and heal and put together in my own. That's a beautiful mystery. Discover that I'm coming alive. I'm being raised up, made whole, learning to live free and light. That resurrection life isn't just a hope in the age to come, but resurrection life is something that can be known in the here and now. Death itself working backwards. At that moment they heard a shout, from behind them, a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. For those that need help, we're now in the line of the witch in the wardrobe, not Hebrews. <laughs> Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, a great voice from behind their back said, it is more magic. They looked around, there shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer? It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she had looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. The great mystery of Easter is that as I am getting closer to the end of my life and to dying, I'm discovering that death itself is working backwards and I'm coming more alive. That as I peel back the layers of that onion skin, it's not death anxiety that exists at the core, but no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. There's this ability to slowly grow to become a non-anxious presence in the world. Paul says, no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He says that for him to live is Christ, and yet to die is gain. Well, when you're 21, that verse is like, I'm not so sure about that, to be perfectly honest. 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. I was like, I read that when I was 20. I was like, to live as Christ and to die, not a good idea. Don't, there's a lot of things that I still want to do. And I still feel like that at 41. But as you grow and you mature, you realize that to live is Christ and yet to die is gain. And yet death is not only something that comes at the end of our days, yet death is a reality experience in life. And yet when we go through those deaths, trusting in Christ, there is gain. There is life to be found. This thing of death is not just the heartache that comes with the loss of a loved one. I don't know if you've, that's the way this thing of death is often talked about, the fact that when someone dies, it causes pain and heartache and grief and loss. And that, that's true. That is one of the stings of death. But the sting of death is that with death hanging over our heads, we go, man, I've only got one life. I've got to cram as much into the, I've got to, I'm going to cut corners. I'm going to walk over whoever I need to walk over. I'm going to do what I need to do because I've only got one shot at this whole thing. So I've got to get as much in as I can. So that living with that awareness of death, this thing is death, is that I embrace ways that fall short of that which God would have me to miss the mark. This thing of death is sin. At the foot of the cross, though, we let go of death and fear and slavery and sin, and we find in Christ life and love and freedom, the ability to live holy, whole and wholesome lives, that all is being made new in Christ. Begin to see people around you as brothers and sisters rather than competitors and rivals. Begin to see people as brothers and sisters rather than competitors and rivals. Begin to see people as not as human resource. Some of you might work in HR and a corporate thing. That's awesome. Keep it up. At the same time, churches aren't meant to do human resource. They're meant to do pastoral care. Because people are not resource. People are fellow image bearers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellow image bearers. You begin as you are made a life in Christ to live free and light. It's not a magical click of the fingers. I wish that was the case. So we talk about, I've been saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Because there is... There can be these moments where we come alive to the salvation of God. Absolutely. Having come alive in this moment to the salvation of God, I need the salvation of God to continually work in my life. So it's not magical. But as I'm enveloped and engulfed and embraced by the love and grace of God, I discover in my melancholy and in my unfaithfulness and in my screw-ups and in my fears and my doubts and my worries and my anxieties and my failings and my fallings, an ongoing experience of resurrection life. That lifts me from the miry clay and sets my feet upon the rock. Pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And lo and behold, something shifts. Something comes alive. Something begins to stir. There's a, what we sing, there's a rumble of this noble theme. Something begins to shift. The, the, the stone's rolled away. What is Christ doing? Bestowing life on those in tombs. The tomb and the tombs of life that we find ourselves in. It's all being made new. So death has been swallowed in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? As I learn to live as a non-anxious presence in the world, as you learn to live as a non-anxious presence in the world, the sting of death, the victory of death, begins to be dealt with. Almighty God in love, you created this universe, a wild and wonderful world that you declared good and pleasing. 
Though sin and death has distorted many things, we thank you that in Jesus all things are being made new. Death is not the final word and resurrection life is breaking out. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, author of salvation, you rose and conquered the grave. So Lord, wherever your good creation is disfigured, as we prayed before, by sin, where our slavery to the fear of death prompts illicit living, let us know resurrection life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, let's stand together. We're going to gather at the Lord's table on Easter Sunday. Receive once again the life of Christ as our... Um